Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. Joining us on Women's Ways for the show that tackles some pretty interesting topics too, as far as that goes. Um, topics that include everything from domestic violence and relationship issues to, as we did last week, the good things about growing old. So, um, what we're doing this week, and I think this is a really important uh, topic that we're doing this week, is we are talking about the relationship between intellect and attraction and whether psychological difference um, really plays a factor, or psychological distance, rather, really plays a factor there. And joining us, Laura, are you there with us? (laughs) Hi. Thank you for joining us. Laura Park, researcher from Buffalo, uh, New York, who did this interesting Mm -hmm. study um, named or titled Psychological Distance Makes the Heart Grow Fonder. Effects of Psychological Distance and Relative Intelligence on Men's Attraction to Women. I have so many questions about this, Laura, and I thank you so much for being here to answer them and share with us your thinking and your conclusions from your research. Yes, it's great to be here. Thank you. Why don't we start out by saying, you know, what what made you think of this topic? What made you want to research this? Uh, I think I have different... Uh angles to that question or different uh, approaches. So one is that I've I've just always been interested in the intersection between how aspects of the person um, affect interpersonal processes. So when I was in graduate school, my research was all about sort of self-esteem and motivation, but I was always interested in seeing how those aspects of the individual, how that might affect how people perceive others or how much they like others or the quality of their relationships. Um, so that was sort of my background in terms of my research interests. And um, one influence uh, in this line of research was some of the previous work that I've done on um, how priming romantic goals, making romance very salient in women's minds, how that might affect their interest in math and science fields. And so that work sort of showed that um, women, when they're thinking about romantic goals, they show less interest in these traditionally male-dominated fields of science and math and so forth. And one explanation was that perhaps they um, think that romantic goals are incompatible with being desirable. So um, this line of research wasn't directly based on that, but sort of converging upon my interest in looking at um, this domain of intelligence, which is so important to many people and especially college students, which was the population we were looking at. And one of the questions was kind of, um, you know, are women who do better than than um, men in uh, some domain, are they actually liked more or less? Um, and then just more broadly, even beyond just the gendered question was, does the distance uh, you have between you and the other person, psychologically speaking, does that affect your attraction? And we sort of, as a first case study, looked at men's attraction to women, but we thought maybe this could be a broader um, phenomenon that occurs perhaps across genders as well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you, you chose, you know, that, that distance and mm-hmm. the uh, level of it, or, or the, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you've got three variables there, really. I mean, you've got distance, you've got mm-hmm. um, level of attraction, and you've got intelligence. I guess intelligence is not the variable, right? Yeah, um, so the, attra- the attraction was like the outcome of, of um, were they more or less attracted, and then the distance was a variable, and then the how smart they were relative to the man was the other variable that we were interested in. Mm-hmm. Tell me, please, what you mean by psychological distance. You're not talking about miles on a map. Yeah, right. 
So psychological distance, um, it's this uniquely human ability that we have to think about the world. So everything from other people to events that might be occurring or objects, pretty much anything that you can mentally represent in your mind, um, we have the ability to create a sense of psychological distance. So um, if you think about something that you're going to do later today compared to something that you're going to do next week or next year, there's different ways that we can sort of put an event, object, or person in a psychological space. And that space can either be um, near, and it can be spatially near, so it could be like the person sitting next to you, a person that's hypothetical. Um, it could also be um, beyond something just physical distance. It could be, you know, like hypothetical versus a real interaction with somebody and things like that. So it's basically just the ability to think about stimuli in the world in some way of, of thinking about them in time and space that's near or far. Okay. I'm not sure I mm-hmm. completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Can you give okay. an example? Yeah. Um, so um, let's see. So if you're thinking about um, your upcoming, uh, an upcoming uh, party, you can think about a party that you might be having um, later today, and when you're thinking about a party that's happening later today, you might be focused on specific concrete aspects of that party, like how many napkins you're going to get and um, you know the decorations you're going to get. You're going to be very focused on specific concrete details of that event. Whereas if Mm -hmm. you're thinking about a party that you're going to be planning like next year, you might be thinking more broadly just in terms of like what would the theme of the party be, just more sort of abstract general sense of that event versus thinking about specific concrete. So it's sort of a mindset shift in if you're thinking about the gist of something versus the specific details of some event. Or it could be about a person. Yeah. Well. Um, excuse me. If I am cruising through pictures on Match.com, mm-hmm. and I find uh, a, a wonderful, oh gosh, you know, um, uh, you know, I mean, this is real, this is indicative of my generation, but I find mm-hmm. Tom Selleck there in, the, mm-hmm. in his pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is the person for me, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I arrange to meet him. Mm-hmm. I meet him, mm-hmm. and he's just. It just doesn't click. He's just mm-hmm. not that intriguing. There's something about him that just doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. match with what I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Am I close to what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So that that type of scenario has been looked at um, in past research as well. It sort of maps on a little bit to what we did as well, where you're thinking about interacting with this person who, when you're looking at them on Match.com, it's kind of like this you know, what if or hypothetical idea of like, what if I were to meet this person, what would they be like? And that might be very much in line with like your ideal preferences of what you think this person has in terms of their qualities and traits. But then when you meet them in person, um, you might have a emotional reaction to them. Maybe you just click with them or you don't. And based on these sort of more immediate sources of feedback as a result of interacting with this person, you might um, like them more or less depending on your initial impression of that person in the interaction. So, for example, um, if you didn't like a particular trait about that person and then you interact with them and you realize that you really do like that person, then you might sort of reframe that trait as being something positive versus if you had like a not, not a very good interaction, you might um, take that same trait and have like a negative connotation of that. So depending depending on the quality of that face-to-face interaction that you have, people sort of rely on their experiences, like the the feelings they have at that moment um, to sort of recast the meaning of whatever ideal information they had about their partners to begin with. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Why did you pick that mm-hmm. to look at? Why why intelligence or why that disconnect? Why between... that mixture? That mixture. 
Yeah. Um, so one thing that's been looked at um, in the literature that's been pretty well established is that when people compare themselves with others, um, they either feel better or worse than themselves in comparison to that person. And so we were interested in seeing how that might differ based on how psychologically close or far away they were. So we sort of wanted to look at the the boundary conditions of when this effect of liking another person or not um, would occur, depending on when they do, whether they do better or worse than you. Um, okay, so how did you go about designing this research? But you know what, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a comment uh, about this or a question about this research, because um, we're going to get to what does this mean a, a little bit later, but if you have a comment or a, a question for Laura, please give us a call. It is 646-378-0430. That's 646 Zero four three zero. I also have the chat room open if you don't want to talk on the phone, but you want to type a question. So uh, give us a, a call, uh, type in your question, and uh, we can ask Laura. She's the researcher, and she'll probably have an answer. I'm betting she will anyway. Laura, go back yes. to telling us mm-hmm. why you why you put this together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to start off by looking at men's attraction to women. Um, and, you know, in future work, we'll probably look at women's reactions to men and, and, and other domains as well. But we thought this would be a good first start to look at how does the distance you, you, you have. Because I think one of the things, if you think about attraction in everyday life now, you know, 20 years ago, people weren't really meeting people over the Internet. Or if they were, it was kind of a sort of like a hush-hush thing. And so now there's so many more venues for people to be meeting people online versus like speed dating or face-to-face in a coffee shop or their first date. And so um, trying to figure out what qualities um, of the situation might affect their attraction to that person um, we thought was an important question to look at. And also the other thing is a lot of past research has shown that – you know, both men and women want smart partners. It's not like um, men or women want unintelligent partners. But we were particularly interested in that comparative aspect, so wanting somebody who is smarter compared to less intelligent than you um, because it's sort of a given that everybody wants somebody who is smart. So when is somebody being smarter than you, when might that be threatening to you? And might it depend on if they're psychologically close or far away from you. Okay. All right. Were your test subjects, were your sample subjects all college students? Yeah. So for all uh, six of these studies, they were college men. I would say most of them were freshmen, so probably like 18, 19, maybe 20-year-olds, freshmen, sophomore students. Um, And... I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that these were, um, I think, predominantly heterosexual and um, I think they were single. Um, I think we tried to recruit participants who were um, single and heterosexual in these studies so that, you know, attraction would be something that was very salient to them or important to them. Okay. All right. Yeah, so the the question of, you know, how generalizable are these findings? Like, would older males or different populations, um, would would they show similar types of effects as a a question that future research could could look at? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it might be interesting to do it with an older demographic, too. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... You know, I think that you know it's a it's a given that when we're young we look for different things in potential partners mm-hmm. than we do when we're older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. might be an interesting uh, uh, something you know something to look at as well. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you've done this research, and what mm-hmm. were your findings? Uh, what we found collectively across the studies is that when men are thinking about women in sort of this abstract sense when they think about this hypothetical woman 
or when they expect to meet a woman who's supposedly waiting for them down the hall, they show greater interest and attraction toward the woman in these scenarios when um, the woman is smarter than them. So when they learn or find out that the woman did better than them on some sort of a test, intellectual test, compared to women who did worse than them on some test. However, when we bring them, bring these women into the lab and have them take the test right next to the man, so it's a very um, sort of immediate situation where they're not this abstract hypothetical person, but they're a real person um, right there, and we do the same thing. They take a test, and then the man either does, the woman does better or worse than the man. In that case, then the um, men show less attraction. Behaviorally, they put their chairs farther away from the woman when she does better than him in the close situation. Oh, wow. Really? Um, that blatantly? They, yeah, they show, um, you know, in terms of, interest in getting her number and exchanging information for a future date. They show less desire to talk about those kind of things. And they just report less, you know, liking and desirability of her in that close situation. And we didn't find strong evidence of this in our studies. So there might be other factors or maybe people, the men, um, there might be some concerns about reporting this or something, but in one of the studies we found some evidence that it, the reason why that they, they were distancing themselves from the women who were smarter than them in this close situation is because they um, their masculinity, sense of masculinity was threatened. They felt less masculine in these situations. Um, but we didn't find consistent support for that idea. So, again, it's either they perhaps... Um, Maybe there's concerns about not appearing masculine, and so there's some self-presentational concerns there. Or maybe it's something else. Uh, maybe it's something more subtle that uh, could be measured by, like, physiological arousal or something that might not be captured by just people's self-reports. Do, don't we all do that in a way, though? I mm -hmm. mean, when we're thinking about something that's mm -hmm. not really next to us, Mm -hmm. um, we can idealize. We can mm -hmm. think about how wonderful that would be. Mm -hmm. Blah blah blah. But then when it, mm -hmm. when we are when it's next to us, yeah, then you know, we can yeah. see the more it's yeah, yeah. not so wonderful. Yeah. So that's sort of the even though none of our studies had the opposite, you know, women's attraction to men who were smarter or less intelligent than them. We sort of we we're coming from this um, sort of from that broad perspective that you just said that when somebody is psychologically closer to you and they outperform you, that should affect your, you know, self-esteem and um, especially if it's uh, something that you care about, like being intelligent. And so if that's if that's the framework, then probably women might show a similar reaction to men, you know, if they care about that, that domain a lot and they're outperformed. When I was a kid, Laura, you mm -hmm. know, it was a, it was a given that the boys mm -hmm. wouldn't want you if you were smarter or more athletic mm -hmm. or anything mm -hmm. more than mm -hmm. they were. Mm -hmm. And um I mean it was just a given. And um mm -hmm. most of us girls just kind of went poo-poo on that, who cares, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want a boy anyway, you know. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> but it, it it all my I think when I read your study I almost thought, "Oh my god, really? Still?" You know. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, I know. Depressing. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me tell me that that this is not indicative that we haven't changed mm -hmm. all that much in 30 or 40 years. Yeah. I mean, in some ways we have, in some ways we haven't. Um so in terms of what people say they want, that at least, I mean, I don't know 50 years ago if men would report that they would want somebody smarter than them compared to somebody who's not as smart as them. Um, but clearly, at least in the hypothetical sense, men are saying that they want somebody smarter than them. So it's really just the close situation where you're seeing maybe the thing that you're talking about um, that maybe hasn't changed as much as was we would have liked. Um, but at least in the hypothetical sense, and actually if you look at, this is sort of a, a loose analogy, but if you think about like racial attitudes that people have um, compared to 50 years ago, people are much um, more likely to report that they're 
uh, supportive of interracial dating and so forth compared to like 50, 60 years ago. Um, but if you look at other indices of racial bias, like having a white and a black student interact, um, more subtle things like um, physiological arousal and signs of nervousness and so forth, that seems to leak through when they're actually interacting with um, an, you know, a student of a different race compared to when they're just sort of filling out a questionnaire saying, you know, hypothetically, if you were to meet a black person, like, would you have these sort of biases or would you feel any stereotyping of these students? And so there's, I think it's a broader theme of this disconnect between what people report or, or maybe their ideals or what they espouse versus how they actually act in a situation. And a lot of times people don't have direct knowledge or access or awareness of how um, the situation influences them at that moment. But when they sort of think in this abstract sense, then they are more likely to think about what their, you know, attitudes or preferences are, ideally. So we've just kind of not really changed a whole lot? We've just gone underground with it? Um, I think with this research... um, it's hard again. It's hard to say because we didn't look at women. So if this is if this is only found with men, let's say that men are threatened by women who outperform them, um, but not for women, then that would suggest something about gender. But if women show similar findings, then it would suggest something broader about um, how people respond what? to self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be interesting for future research to also do uh, homosexual couples and see if the same oh, mm-hmm, kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't don't you think that would be kind of interesting to find out? Yeah, yeah, that would be really interesting because you know, if um, women's attractions to a romantic wom- uh, a partnership with a woman would be also mm-hmm. impacted by this kind of um, uh, dynamic. I, I think mm-hmm. it would be kind of interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You in your research, you mentioned um, mm-hmm. uh, earlier research, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to scan through here. Um, where in the heck? Oh, I'm not finding it. But you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier research um, mm-hmm. that showed that um, men. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, Fishman or Fisman, mm-hmm. Iyengar, Kamenka. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, that study found that where men perceived uh, uh, women speed dating partners mm-hmm. as more mm-hmm. intelligent than themselves, immediately their perception of her intelligence changed their their level of attraction to her. Yeah, Is so it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh, so yeah, it was up to up. They liked an intelligent woman, but up to a certain point, and then when her intelligence sort of superseded his, then that's when attraction was less. Mm-hmm. So and that's mm-hmm. the, the 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 sample population in that study was it was like yeah I want an intelligent woman as long as she's not more intelligent. Yeah, that that seemed to be in that yeah they didn't have a the a scenario where they were asking people hypothetically what they wanted, but just in that speed dating face to face context, yeah, yeah they seemed to yeah have less interest in them when they when their intelligence was greater. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to again throw out something, a blast from the past here. My mother mm-hmm. used to say, water mm-hmm. seeks its own level. In other <laughs> words, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. my mother had a million of those little things. Um, but in, in other words, uh-huh. you know, I mean, people seek people who are similar to them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether it be their interests or their level of yeah. intelligence yeah. Yeah. or their economic status. Yeah. Um and and so could this study just kind of be reflecting something like that or mm-hmm. how do you see the results of your study? How do you mm-hmm. see it as is there an how do you interpret that um mm-hmm. for our our culture? Yeah. So that's a good question. So um yeah, so research supports that idea of water six similarity in the sense that um Birds of a feather flock together more so than opposites attract, contrary to what, you know, movies and so forth might portray. So when you look at people who are in relationships and married couples and so forth, they um, typically are more similar in their attitudes, their backgrounds, um, even sometimes their attractiveness and other traits and attributes about them. Um, So, yes, similarity does breed similarity in terms of liking. We like people who are similar to us. And so this research is 
is um, there's not been that much research done on do people prefer partners who are more or less than you on something. So it's typically just here's a bunch of traits. Is this important or how important is this? And um, the only study that I know of besides that speed dating study is a study that just had people self-report their ideal sort of personality traits in their partner and relative to themselves, and people, I think it was both men and women, prefer partners who have positive personality traits um, more so than they do. And they want to be with people who have higher mate value. So they sort of want to find partners who are, you know, like I guess marry up versus somebody who's worse off than you. I guess people have this desire to be with somebody who's like, uh, really a good catch. Better. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah. little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, this question of like, <laughs> where, where is, where is that that line? Because we didn't look at it in our research, but you know, is it that people that men, let's say hypothetically or women, do they want partners who are a little bit smarter than them? A lot, you know, like what's the degree of relative intelligence that is threatening versus acceptable and comfortable or desired. We talk a lot about this show about power differentials in relationships. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that when you're talking intelligence, that's just mm-hmm. one component of power. Mm-hmm. And it would seem logical to me mm-hmm. that if you're with somebody who has a lot more power in a certain area, <clears throat> excuse mm-hmm. me, whether it's intellect or um, financial capabilities or mm-hmm. even, you know, physical uh-huh. Uh, aptitude or something, then that might have the potential for shifting that power um, um, mm-hmm. differential. Yeah, there's some work showing, for example, that the more um, the, the more women earn, they show mate preferences similar to what you typically find, like with men preferring women who are attractive and young and you know fertile and those kind of things. That when you have Ooh, are we women get trophy who husbands? Sorry, what was that? Are we going to get trophy husbands down there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of been spun in, in, in ways like that, but that it's not necessarily about gender, but it's about, you know, having power or earning potential or what one of those indices that if you sort of control for those or make those equal, then um, you get similar patterns of what people prefer in, in, the, in their partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to me like, you know, I mean, we've pulled up that old phrase of water seeking mm-hmm. its own level, but mm-hmm. I think it does that with power as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people want to be in a relationship, I would think, where mm-hmm. their clout is as significant or more or less equal to the per- person that they're with. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. when that power level gets skewed, either through abuse mm-hmm. or whatever, um, it, it, it often... Um, marks the start of, uh, of you know, um, a, a really um, uncomfortable or unproductive or nasty mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. So are we looking at in- intellect, mm-hmm. and, and I'm asking you to draw some uh, some assumptions here that you might mm-hmm. not be comfortable doing, but are we looking at intellect as just one more component of what we mm-hmm. seek in a partner? Um. So can you elaborate? So, like, is that... Well, just... obviously, you know, people are attracted by a physical appearance. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you have people that look for eyes, or you have people who mm-hmm. look for physiques, or you have, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, we, we go for a certain physical thing. Mm-hmm. So do then we do we then also go for certain other components that we look for, whether we're able to articulate that or not? I mean, mm-hmm. do I... You know, if I'm going out there, you know, it, say the in the speed dating scenario from the other study, you mm-hmm. know, am I looking for people who not only fit a physical thing but also fit a, uh, um, a certain verbal characteristics or a certain, um, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I get, I, I, help me out here. I'm, I'm trying to say, you know, are, are are we do we just basically have some unnamed or possibly named? things, mm-hmm. components that we're looking for in other people and, and potential mm-hmm. partners mm-hmm. Um, that we just check off a, a list in our heads. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, there's, there's been research in social psych on um, sort of the 
the primary traits or dimensions that people go into uh, attraction situations looking for these qualities in partners. So they've talked about it in terms of these ideal partner preferences, like what are those dimensions. And um, I think there are three of them. Attractiveness um, was one dimension. Another one was sort of warmth, trustworthiness. And I want to say the third had to do with either status or resources or something something related to that. But there there has been research showing that, yes, there do seem to be these um, basic dimensions when we think about what we want in a partner. Um, they're not just sort of arbitrary things. They're typically tied to some of these basic, basic dimensions. And, and probably intelligence, it, it's always ranked, you know, very highly for both men and women of, uh, they want their ideal partners to be intelligent, um, you know, and and warm, like trustworthy and reliable and honest, and those those types of qualities. So um, people aren't too shallow in saying what they want. They seem to want a well-rounded person who's, you know, at least they say they want those things. But what people say they want isn't always kind of that's kind of the point of paper is that they they don't always um, want what they say they want. Exactly. Yeah. So what are the implications of this study? Mm-hmm. What, what, mm-hmm. Okay, we've got this study, you collected this data, you made these mm-hmm. conclusions, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and yeah. so what? What does that mean? Yeah. Well, so it's kind of, yes, I think on, some people could interpret it as like, oh, you know, this is just reinforcing what we, the stereotype of men want women who are not smart or something like that. So I could see how that could be one angle of it. But I think... Um, on a broader level, I think what this is saying is that humans are fragile in some sense, where our you know sense of self, some aspect of ourself, feels threatened when somebody outperforms us and they are like right here in our presence. So the closer you bring that outperforming person to us, we feel more threatened. So that seems like a part of the normal human experience. Um, so the question is, which this research doesn't directly answer, but it's like, what do, what do we do about it? And according to, originally, according to the model um, that one you know about how people maintain their self evaluations when they're outperformed, um, the implications of that are a little bit depressing. So you know, you can just like say, oh, intelligence is not important to me. You can downplay, you know, the importance of that area that somebody outperformed you in. Um, you could distance yourself from that person, which which is what we found in, in these studies when they were outperformed in the close context. Um, but those solutions don't seem very uh, positive or sustainable. So you can only downplay so many things that you're that you feel threatened by somebody else, right? Before you just sort of say, ah, I don't care about anything. So. One possibility is that is just kind of being aware of this phenomenon that, at least in this these studies, men when they're outperformed by women um, in this intelli- intelligence domain, um, they're they're dis- they're showing less attraction to women. And is that you know if they say ideally they want somebody who's smarter than them, is this really sort of in line with what they really want? So um, sort of increasing awareness of what people typically do by default when they're presented with somebody who outperforms them, and perhaps just sort of raising awareness of this topic could potentially help people to guard against it. So, like, in the abstract, if you want to be proud of your partner's accomplishments intellectually, then perhaps when you're in a situation where your partner, um, you know, does outperform you in some area, then you maybe practice bringing that goal or something to mind when you feel threatened. So um, rather than just sort of feeling threatened and distancing, practicing or or thinking about, well, what is it that I really want? Or um, is there a way for me to not feel threatened and to be, you know, proud of my partner's achievements relative to me or something like that? So it doesn't always have to be about self-esteem and about making yourself feel better or not threatened. Yeah, that's true. I um and I think I I mentioned off air how there was this mm-hmm. little discussion, you know, on uh, a little mm-hmm. Facebook discussion. 
um, mm-hmm. about um, this this study, and mm-hmm. it kind of centered on um, couples and mm-hmm. equal, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the comment that was made is um, uh, there are equally matched couples, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. none that in this you know um, person's mm-hmm. uh, circle mm-hmm. where the woman um, mm-hmm. is extremely successful mm-hmm. and involved with a man who is not mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just average. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that. You know, success is an indicator of intellect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? How do you see this playing out in relationships? I mean, I mm-hmm. know uh, several couples uh, where mm-hmm. she has a very uh, impressive career, um, mm-hmm. and he either helps her, or he has a completely different thing, or he mm-hmm. stays with the kids, um, mm-hmm. and. I, I see that in younger couples. I don't see that so many, so much in older uh, couples. But is that an indicator? Does that scenario fit in at all? Can you interpret that to fit in at all with this, the findings in your study? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think the comment about couples who are, are equally successful or um, excelling, both of them, um, I would wonder if they're both equally successful or excelling in exactly the same domain. So um, according to, you know, this theory about self-evaluation maintenance, people typically specialize or excel or strive to excel in something that's really important to them. But in order to sort of maintain their relationship, they might specialize in something that's slightly different than what their partner does. So let's say both partners are doctors, but one specializes in pediatrics and the other specializes in radiology or something like that. So even though you're in the same field, specializing in different things can lead you to both be successful um, rather than feeling competitive or you know outsmarted or something like that. And then in terms of the coupling of men um you typically at least the comment was you typically see men with more successful men with with maybe relatively less successful women than the reverse pairing um there is i think there's some i mean definitely anecdotal evidence there's some um sort of correlational research out there showing that uh women who are very successful sometimes have a difficult time report having a difficult time finding partners or finding men who want to date them um, compared to men reporting this. So there definitely seems to be this sort of, at least people's reports or experiences of this um, double standard between men if they're very successful and powerful and showing a lot of um, intelligence or resources or status that that seems to be attractive to women, but women experiencing these things might make them less um, attractive to men. I mean, there's there's research showing that women who show very masculine qualities in the workplace, they are rated as more competent, but they're viewed as less, um, sometimes they're viewed as less likable or less attractive or less feminine. So there's this social backlash that can occur for women. But men, oh, yeah. it's not that... It's not like men are immune to the backlash because men um, who show very feminine qualities, um, they they tend to be rated more harshly. So wow. kind of goes both ways when it when wow. you're thinking about gender and backlash. That if you're acting in a in a way that violates stereotypic expectations, then you're viewed as less uh, likable. Hmm. Laura, we have a caller. I'm going to go yeah. to our caller. Sure. Caller, are you there? Mm-hmm. Caller, are you there? Okay, I guess the caller's not there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Huh, okay. Um, we'll come come back there. Um, okay. All right, I guess our caller's not there. Uh, please okay. call back, caller, and, and uh, we'll, we'll try and get to your question. Um, so basically what you're telling me, Laura, you know, kind of mm-hmm. makes me sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it's like 
has nothing changed since the Victorian era? Has nothing, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm feeling really, really um, kind of sad about this. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do you, how do you see this? How is, is your study, and of course that's a, mm-hmm. an unfair thing to ask, I guess, but mm-hmm. is your study likely to change anything? Or mm-hmm. at least bring enough awareness to something so that people try to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is this behavior? Is this dance between men and women so ingrained mm-hmm. that you know this is going to be the way it is, no matter how many people study, no matter what? Yeah. Well, I think um, the the studies themselves, just this package, you know, makes a statement about the effect of the distance and being outperformed or underperformed, and how that affects men's attraction to women. But really, it, it there needs to be research on the opposite in order to really think about whether this is a gendered story or if this is just sort of a broader phenomenon. Because, like, if we were to find that women distance themselves or show less romantic interest in men when they outperform them in some area, then you wouldn't be seeing all these, you know, stories about men are threatened by women who are intelligent and we, you know, that's consistent with what we've known for since the Victorian era or whatever. So um, these studies seem consistent with that idea, but I don't know if it's the whole story given that we didn't look at women. And so mm-hmm. looking at yeah. women's reactions. And also um, in in these studies, it, it actually it wasn't just about intelligence. It actually didn't matter. So in one of the studies, we had them, the men outperformed in some type of like social sensitivity test that sort of was supposed to measure their like emotional intelligence or something like that. And so um, they so it, that the domain didn't seem to matter, which makes it seem less about specifically about you know, this intelligence in a masculine domain, it's just perhaps um, this being outsmarted just in general or being uh, outcompeted against. But perhaps women might feel the same way if it's if they're outperformed by men as well. And I then think I wonder, you, yeah. Yeah, I think you're bringing, raising the point. It would really be interesting to have this study done, you know, with the women and, and what they mm-hmm. find attractive. Mm-hmm. Um Again, we, we've we made such assumptions, and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, maybe these assumptions are true. I mean, you know, they, mm-hmm. the stereotypes are not picked out of mm-hmm. thin air, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it would be interesting, I think, you know, uh, given an ideal world and ideal mm-hmm. funding and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. to do this study not only with men's attraction mm-hmm. to women, but women's mm-hmm. attraction mm-hmm. to men at mm-hmm. different age groups, Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, to throw that homosexual component, mm-hmm. is it yeah. different if you have two? Yeah. Uh, do two men uh, mm-hmm. have different criteria mm-hmm. for attraction to each other, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. do in fact they just fall into those same, you know, that same dichotomy kind of uh, mm-hmm. role? Um, mm-hmm. it, I, I think those would be interesting questions. So, okay, you've yeah. got your research plan set out for the next two years. <laughs> you don't have to come up with any new research. We've just panned it all out here, you know. Um, I do have a question in the chat room, and I'm yes. going to share this. Uh, um, are men attra- are women attracted to men who do heroic things? Uh, the only reason that I'm, uh-huh. I'm throwing that in, since we haven't really, uh-huh. your research doesn't uh, really apply uh-huh. to women's attraction uh-huh. to men, uh-huh. but I think that fact that we haven't talked about hero- heroism. Mm-hmm. Heroism could be a pretty sexy thing and a pretty mm-hmm. appealing thing. Um, mm-hmm. Did any of your questions come close mm-hmm. to addressing the idea of heroism? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, that's, a, that's right. a really interesting, uh, really interesting perspective on it. Um, let me think. Heroism. I mean, I. Yes, you could say somebody who's more intelligent might act more heroically, but no. I, maybe what the person is getting at is um, if a man acts in a very sort of stereotypically masculine way. So the stereotype of a man might be to sort of rescue a woman or to be this heroic Prince Charming or ah, something like the that. Ah, the rescuer. Yeah. Night, yeah. night and yeah. white. Oh, I see. I think I understand. Yeah, yeah, so are so, men more attracted to the, the maiden in distress kind of thing? Where yeah, they can I don't, 
I don't know about um I don't know about the actual attraction, but there is research showing that women the more they have this sort of they call it like the glass slipper effect. They more the more they have this romantic fantasy about romantic partners being their prince charming and being chivalrous and sort of heroic, they show they report um fewer career and educational aspirations. So they basically they they choose less powerful sort of roles and goals for themselves the more the stronger their romantic fantasies that they have about men sort of being the protector and the provider. But as wow. for men, yeah, but as for men, I'm not sure I'm not sure how I I I mean, yeah, I'm not sure how that that would work the other way, but at least for women the more they have these. And the the way that they measured it in the study was um it, it was their sort of implicit romantic fantasy, so they measured it with this reaction time test where they um, were quicker to sort of associate their par- partners with words related to, like, Prince Charming and Knight and stuff like that. This is work by uh, Lori Rudman at Rutgers. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about how, you know, the uh, women's aspirations um, mm-hmm. for their own future mm-hmm. career, et cetera, uh, diminish the higher their aspirations for some sort mm-hmm. of uh, heroic, you know, man on a white knight to come to them. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. flashed back, honest to goodness, when my daughter was in third grade. I was her Girl Scout leader, her brownie mm-hmm. leader, mm-hmm. and the girls were in a car, and we were heading for some sort of field trip, and the girls were talking about what they wanted to be. These are third grade children, mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. The girls were saying, oh, I want to be a scientist, oh, I want to be a this, I want to be a that. And one of the girls said, uh, well, if I'm not married by the time I'm 18, I don't know what I will do. <laughs> I practically pulled the car over. I, I mean, I just, I, I just, oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, yeah. this was it. This is what this girl, and and I just thought of that when you were saying this, you know, that mm-hmm. there apparently are girls, and and I wonder where that came from. You know, I mean, was mm-hmm. was this something that she was groomed to expect, or is mm-hmm. there something mm-hmm. innate in her that made her, mm-hmm. I don't know, just want to jump into the reproduction <laughs> pool very quickly? Or I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I just flashed on that girl, yeah. and I thought, here are these other little mm-hmm. girls talking about all this wonderful stuff ahead yeah. of them, and what they well, want to be, firemen, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, and she yep. wanted to be married by 18. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you that's know? actually, that's very much in line with my other line of research, which is about um, this pursuit of romance for, for girls and how that can deter them from pursuing things that are stereotypically more masculine, like math and science and things like that. And, you know, in elementary school, and actually in terms of the performance of women in like math and science domains, they're just as good as boys. Um, some recent research shows that there's not a lot of a gender gap in terms of actual performance, but it's in the interest in like getting a career in these fields that differ. And so in this other line of research, I show that um, when you have college women think about romantic goals, they distance themselves from math and science fields, and show greater interest in more um, stereotypically feminine fields. And this probably starts, I would say, probably around like middle school, adolescent years, when all of a sudden what girls are sort of prized for or rewarded for socially is their attractiveness and how desirable they are to boys if they're heterosexual. And so this becomes sort of a dominant filter or lens through which they think about everything. And um, that's, I mean, so what you're, you're explaining with your daughter seems kind of consistent with research showing that the gender gap in interest in stereotypically masculine versus feminine things um, seems to, to widen as you get from adolescence to the college years. And that doesn't change. I mean, it seems to, we, I think, perceive that in the last 25 or 30 years we've given, mm-hmm. um, you know, women have have achieved mm-hmm. so many um, hurdles and been mm-hmm. given so many opportunities that, of course, this mm-hmm. is different. But mm-hmm. it's not. 
it really isn't. And, you know, it's a fascinating question because why? I mean, is this cultural? Is this biological? I mean, most mm-hmm. of us uh, as women know that we have a window, and if we mm-hmm. choose to have children, we have to hit that window at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even if we're not thinking of it, does that mm-hmm. play on our our actions? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. You know, we we hearken back to all of this old rhetoric about, you know, um, what men want. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to do, you know, have the children thing and if we're going to do the reproduction thing and follow that that biological uh, demand, um, Mm -hmm. do we then have to adjust our behavior in order to fulfill that need? Uh, There's so many questions about this. So many questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, you know, when I first read your study, something mm-hmm. about it went, I need to talk to this lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards I started thinking, why? This really is a little bit different from mm-hmm. what we generally talk about on the show. But mm-hmm. it occurred to me, uh, just mm-hmm. as we were talking here, that it's really not different because mm-hmm. what we talk about is power. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is about power, and power mm-hmm. can be good. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it, it can also be very destructive. But... Mm-hmm. What we're talking about here is power and and um, the relationship, the power that exists between men and women. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I may be grasping yeah. here, but you see where I'm heading? Yeah, that would be actually, when you said that, that would be an interesting like uh, future direction. So in a situation where a man is in like our studies if he's outperformed by a woman in intelligence if he somehow were reminded of his position in society or you know did something to increase his feelings of power at that moment or affirm his self-esteem or something would that then make him less likely to you know show less attraction to the woman so sort of um a way to prevent this default from happening, which is to distance yourself from somebody who outperforms you if you were to... um, Because if in that moment the person feels less powerful or in a weaker position, inferior position, by somehow reminding them or making them feel um, worthy or something like that, that that could make them more supportive of the other person's achievements. Oh, I sense a book deal in this. <laughs> but I, I think that it's true, and and the the more I learn, uh, the more I'm convinced mm-hmm. that power drives mm-hmm. a great deal. You know, everything mm-hmm. it, it really mm-hmm. does drive everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I firmly believe that power can be a good thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, parents have power over children to keep them from mm-hmm. running in the street. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. It can be a very good thing, and I think we mm-hmm. all desire power. We mm-hmm. all need to have power. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can get that power over ourselves and not mm-hmm. over someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but all too often it, it becomes power over someone else. So yeah. when you're describing your study and you're describing these attraction levels and mm-hmm. what tweaks these levels, um, mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is, you know, power being tweaked. Um, you know, if, if I feel like something or other is going to diminish my power in a relationship, then mm-hmm. I would back away from that. Um, but on the other hand, if I'm the kind of person who wants to have power mm-hmm. over others, mm-hmm. then maybe I would be more attracted to a person who has less, less in, power. In intelligence mm-hmm. or less financial um, mm-hmm. uh, independence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, it's a, a long and convoluted explanation, but I, something in your study just really spoke mm-hmm. to me, and I think that's what it is, because I think mm-hmm. it does speak to the power differential mm-hmm. between um, uh, romantic partners. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know whether you've looked at it that way before or not, but, but that's no, I've, kind of... No, I've done some other work on power, but um, not in this context. But I wonder also... Um, about because you had mentioned before about you know look, looking at different types of relationships. So all of these people in these studies, this was like a first first not first date situation, but it was like a situation where they could potentially meet somebody. So thinking about how do people who are in existing ongoing relationships, like whether it's friendships or romantic relationships, how do they deal with their friend or their their romantic partner? doing better than them in something um, because 
clearly this is something that happens very often in relationships where somebody outperforms them in some domain and people still maintain friendships and relationships over time. So what is it that people do to be able to um, not always have this knee-jerk reaction of distancing from somebody who's outperforming them? Yeah. That could be something to look at as well. Yeah, I think so, in established relationships, because then what Mm -hmm. happens to the relationships? And then, of course, there's the factor of children of those Mm -hmm. relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and the more and more we talk about all of these social um, Mm -hmm. interactions and social, you know, I mean, it it always comes down to children who are going to be carrying that Mm -hmm. message, Mm -hmm. baggage, whatever you want to call it, with them into the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I see, you know, I haven't done, and I haven't looked at any studies, but anecdotally, I see um, children of my generation, my generation, um, Mm -hmm. lots and lots and lots of divorce. And I mm-hmm. see our children not marrying. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. approaching thirty. They've been living with somebody for six or seven years, mm-hmm. but they're not married. Mm-hmm. Well, duh. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be a genius to figure that one out. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't require Einstein to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it's always the children, the, the you know that that you know absorb and grow up with these mm-hmm. social phenomena that that mm-hmm. carry it into generation and change it and uh, pervert it, if you will, into mm-hmm. whatever their social ills are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's interesting. I, I really appreciate your being with us on the show to talk about your study. Fascinating study, um, and and the implications um, are, are pretty large, I think. I mean, because of, uh, as with all this stuff, if we understand what we're doing, Mm-hmm. Then we can say, oh, well, wait a minute, I don't want to be doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, yeah, because, I do want to be doing that, you know? <laughs> but when yeah, because I, I don't want the message and, to be that men are, you know, because it seems to be like a sort of like a, almost like a male bashing, like, men, you're so fragile, you know, get get over yourself, learn to accept women who are smarter. But um, it's it's sort of a broader message of, you know, when people are outperformed in this close context, they're likely to react. Um, there's some evidence, you know, with feelings of threat, and um, that's sort of the the take home message. Yeah. Well, and none of us likes to feel we're wrung down from someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if we're in a social group, if we're in a marriage, if we're in a whatever. Mm-hmm. None yeah. of us wants to feel like somehow or other we're not at the same, you know, we don't have the same footing, we don't have the same yeah. um, uh, capability or, or yeah. import, you know, right. as everyone else. So, uh, yeah, right. we're talking about male-female relationships and all of that yeah. stuff that goes with that. But it's also yeah. we're just talking about human beings, yeah. uh, whether it's a romantic relationship or not. I mean, yeah. I don't like hanging around with people who always make me feel like I'm I'm less than. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why... That's why I think it's interesting because we say that on the one hand, but then when we're reporting, like, what do we want, like, what kind of partner appeals to us, we do say we want somebody who is, like, who's sort of better than us, that who's smarter well, than us. I don't know if we think that by preferring somebody who's better than us in some way that we can somehow aspire to be more like them or something or has, like, a motivational component, but... um we do, or at least men say they do want uh, women who are smarter. So I don't know if that's that's. Well, we all say we want to eat healthy too, but that doesn't mean we don't dive into the French fries, you know. <laughs> Laura, thank I mean, you it, so much for yeah, being with us. Uh-huh. I always try to end our our show with a quote. I had a hard time finding a quote, mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. I think this one applies. It's by Jane I, Campion, an actress. Women mm-hmm. often often postpone their lives thinking that if they're not with a partner, then it really doesn't count. They're still Mm -hmm. searching for their prince, in a way. And as much as we don't discuss that, because it's too embarrassing and too sad, I think it really does exist. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's true. And and I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to acknowledge that, and we need to work Mm -hmm. with it, and uh, we need to figure out what we we do next, because nobody should postpone their lives, no matter Mm -hmm. what. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I really, as I said, thank you, Laura, for doing this. I can't wait to yes. see what your next study is going to be. Hopefully, you got, <laughs> you know, if you're like most researchers, yeah. you've got a, a, a notebook full of ideas for future <laughs> yeah. research anyway. But maybe we yeah. added a few things to your notebook. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I loved having this opportunity to talk to you. So thank you. 
Well, you know, I love these studies because we learn so much from them, and, and it really is, you know, kind of looking out a window. So thank mm-hmm. you for being with us. Join us, please, next week. We're going to have Casey Gwynn on the show. And those of you who are familiar with domestic violence know Casey Gwynn. And uh, he's going to be talking about his new book called Cheering for the Children and about the camp that he and his wife operate for children who've grown up in domestic violence situations. And uh, I think whenever we talk about these social issues, we have to look at the children because they're going to be carrying whatever with them into the next generation and the generation after that. So um, join us next week for Casey Gwynn. Laura, again, thank you so much. Good luck with future research, and thank you very much for listening. Three women, three ways.